Welcome to the Learning Shared Podcast. So Learning Shared is a space for anyone with an interest in supporting the needs of vulnerable learners in our society, including those with special educational needs and disabilities. We'll be hearing from and talking with a wide range of colleagues and stakeholders, including teachers, specialist practitioners, school leaders, researchers, as well as parents and carers. They'll be sharing creative, inspiring ideas, effective practice and things they've learned along their journey. With that in mind, please get in touch if you'd like to suggest a topic for a future episode or if you'd like to be involved in any way. You can visit us at www.learningshared.org or tweet us at underscore learning shared. The Learning Shared podcast is brought to you by Evidence for Learning and the EFL Send community. This is a growing community of teachers, practitioners, school leaders, researchers and academics that support children, young people and adults with special educational needs and disabilities, or indeed any form of additional learning needs. You can find out more about the EFL Send community and Evidence for Learning at www.evidenceforlearning.net. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to this next episode in the Learning Shared series from Evidence for Learning. In a recent podcast, we heard from Vicky Wells, National Manager with the Youth Sports Trust. Vicky explained to us the active recovery that had been launched nationally and which was available to all schools and therefore all children uh, throughout England, Wales and beyond. Already there has been significant interest in active recovery, particularly a concept that Vicky has personally been working on, and that is the one of sports sanctuaries. So today we've invited a panel uh, representing a range of schools to come and join us. We've asked them to reflect on the podcast that Vicky made and think about what was the one piece of professional learning, what was the one slide within Vicky's presentation that really had an impact on them, that resonated with them professionally, or at the point of development they found their school at in this point in time. So today it's my very great pleasure to welcome alongside Vicky Wells, who will be acting as the respondent today. Um, Vicky will enter into a debate with each of the panellists as they present their their slide. Uh, it's my pleasure to welcome Alistair Crawford from St Martin's School and Teaching Alliance. And alongside Alistair today is something really special and very unique. We are absolutely delighted to welcome Billy, who is a student at St Martin's School, and you will have an opportunity to meet Billy and to hear from him. Uh, later in this podcast. Then we have Ali Erskine, uh, the head of school at Whitfield Aspen School, uh, a wonderfully inclusive school in Dover, in Kent. Shona McCann is joining us for this podcast from Riverside School in Northern Ireland, where there is a particular innovation happening that is, uh, is already sparking a lot of national interest. I'm not going to steal Shona's thunder because I want her to tell you about it. 
but it's just wonderful to have a colleague from Northern Ireland as part of this today. We have John White um, from Claremont Specialist Sports College, who's clutching, I think, a pair of Wimbledon tickets, but we're not going to talk to him about that. And then uh, we'll have Nathan Nawenwu, who is representing Lawnswood Campus, the school that's based there. Uh, and Nathan's going to be sharing his chosen slide with us. So without further ado, I'm going to start with our panellists and invite Ali Erskine from Whitfield Aspen School to speak first of all to our chosen slide. Hello, Ali. Hello, Barry. So um, I'd like to start off by saying um, I could have chosen many slides. Um, <laughs> and the slide I did choose was the one that actually, as I was listening to the podcast, I felt best kind of represented where we were at um, in our school's journey, sort of post children coming back. Um, and it was the evidence slide. It was really interesting because uh, as the children returned to school and we were very signed up to the recovery curriculum and the teachers were really enthusiastic about all that was bringing to their ability to work with the children. And we were not really sure what the learning action recovery plans would look like as a whole. We kind of guessed what individual classes ones would look like. But it was as soon as the evidence slide um, came up, I thought, wow, that's quite interesting because the two sort of key areas that were coming up was one based around the children's ability to self-regulate. And that had obviously um, coming back into school that had really um, shown itself to be a hot topic of conversation and um, a lot of analysis going on about how we could support these children. Um, and so this lack of the sort of difficulties around self-regulation was revealing itself in all sorts of different ways. Um, and the other one was really the, the teachers were commenting about how many of the children were very overweight. Um, our runner mile was not really involving a lot of running anymore. Um, it was fine because it involved a lot of chatting, but um, trying to get the running going again was proving somewhat challenging. We were seeing outside at um, unstructured times the kind of children's difficulties in maintaining uh, just their free play games of football. That was really um, very, very evident, as were their difficulties matching the self-regulation and playing these games, getting along together. That was also proving quite challenging. Um, and sort of more data-driven analysis was that um, our children's writing was had the ability to write at an expected level had absolutely plummeted. Wow. Um, so actually, uh, when so the the teachers had recognised all of this, and um, their response to that was individualised and personalised for each class. So what we were finding coming out of the um, sort of suggestions from the teachers was. Teachers had booked a karate teacher, for example, to come into school and work with children, something that we hadn't done before in our primary school. We had two teachers who adopted to go and train themselves to teach archery, something else we'd never done before. Our two local sports coaches who are like local heroes in our school, two young lads, and um, have, they, they walk on water, really. We were finding that we were asking them to come in increasingly to work at the unstructured times, lunch times. And we already had in school um, a dance company called Confidance who were actually had already started a project with us, but kind of what they were doing changed slightly. 
so this was happening and we were kind of gathering all of this up um all of this up and then when I heard your presentation Vicky with the evidence it kind of went okay so what we're (laughs) what you're saying and what we're seeing is matching actually and that research from Oxford University or the University, sorry, University of Cambridge, sorry, apologies. (laughs) 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 Another heated debate. But it really kind of, I think it gave us the confidence to kind of realise that what we were seeing and what research was being done was actually matching very, very significantly. So um, that is why for us, the the evidence slide immediately resonated. So... (laughs) Thank you, Ollie. That's that's very powerful. I love the links you've made there, like into the data about writing. You had your own evidence there, and then here you have academic evidence, if you like, about the need for physical activity, which is going to impact. We always think, or people tend to think, gross motor. We forget the need for phone, fine motor, or indeed the whole kinesthetic process and that and that sensory integration particularly so important for our students with with uh, autism um vicky uh, over to you for a response thank you barry and lovely to hear ali um around some of the, the thought process that has gone on already at school as children have, have returned to you over the, the course of this pandemic i think what i've particularly just drawn on from what you've shared is how yourself and the wider staff team have really observed and really spend that time to look at your children and pupils as they've returned to you and actually been able to capture some of the observations, some of the things that they are are physically seeing and probably some of the things perhaps are are not easily noticeable either, but you get from the trust and the relationships that you have. But almost connecting that with then what else have we got and what else can we provide as a school for our pupils to really add value to, to that reintegration, that support back into school life. And that's so prevalent, isn't it, at the moment, because at the time of recording this podcast, you know, yesterday's headlines were looking at how children are back self-isolating. It's quadrupled mm. the number in a week. So actually, you know, this is, is, is something that will be ongoing, isn't it, colleagues, in terms of our children who might end up going back into self-isolation, but then having to readjust back into school and some of the, the, the fractured kind of experiencing that they're having. I think for me, there was another point you raised around the importance of obviously wider physical activity, but also then your community around you to help you with this. And this has been a real time where I think schools have played such a pivotal role in their communities and really understand and know what is available for your pupils. So the lovely, the link to the, the coaches and the dance organisations and how you're all working together um, for the common mm. good for your pupils. Mm. My, my my question perhaps one to, to consider going forward is with the coaches who are clearly um, doing an exemplary role within school is how you can capitalise on that and for that sustainability piece, ensuring that they can also support your staff that, you know, should anything happen in the future, that that, that, that professional development, that shared learning between staff and coach continues to happen to continue to benefit more pupils as they come through your school. Thank you, Vicky. That's great. Now, other panellists, for any of you, did this quote particularly resonate? Because I, I do think, you know, the fact it's 2021 research from the University of Cambridge with, uh, you know, Youth Sports Trust having launched that active recovery programme, the synergy, I remember, Vicky, you saying when you actually found this, you couldn't believe your good fortune. Uh, so others of you, can I take a comment from another panellist, please? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to come in there, Barry, really. Thank um, you, John. Um, 
Yesterday, um, we we were um, we have a community sports night on a Wednesday, and we have Liverpool Foundation in in the afternoon. And um, obviously, we've seen our young people's journey coming back from the last lockdown and being very unsure. And I would be talking probably about our sportiest youngsters there, and just seeing what we've put in place on a Wednesday with. Um, Chance to Shine, um, you know, which is the cricket uh, program. Uh, we had the uh, England captains here, male and female, working with young people all day. Is that what that says there was on our site yesterday? And it's absolutely true right. because all of our young people, self-regulation is not just, uh, I would say, a challenge for 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 young people here in our school it's society's challenge isn't it yes yes it's society's yes. challenge yes. um we we we're all that british british stiff upper lip has gone hasn't it um yes. and and was it ever, yes. ever very useful you know that characteristic uh, and that stereotype totally so agree, we so we feel that um that channeling and that creating those contexts and those sanctuaries as we're talking about today um, are so so important because I can see that evidence in action when you offer the opportunity, you know, sort of leave a five of the recovery curriculum, you're offering that opportunity, um, yeah. which is the key thing for all human beings, I think, to yeah. realize their yeah. potential and self actualize. Yeah. Thank you, John. You've underscored that really important point. You're right to pick on self-regulation. You see, you've just told us about some wonderful opportunities at your school. You've, you've listened to what Ali has said about the rich opportunities young people are getting there, and it'll reflect for all of our panellists and indeed many of the schools within the EFL community. But actually, at the end of the day, John, we can't be there for every minute of every day for our students, can we? We're about to face a summer holiday. And actually, unless we've taught them to self-regulate, unless we've taught them how to plug into the active recovery program and make sure they've got all the right links, that, that active recovery program is a gift, is it not, for the summer holidays that are coming up? But they can only benefit from it if they can self-regulate. Um, so it's, it's Absolutely. so important. Thank you, John. Well, I think, John, that gives us a nice segue because I do believe that you are just the next speaker. So... Uh, over to you to continue for us. Thank you. Okay, so um, in in terms of this slide, um, it's probably easier if I just uh, sort of whiz through it, just around uh, going through each uh, blue sort of heading. Really, is like make aware, practice, supply with support, and encouraging pin use. And you know, obviously, don't want to just present, but. We've been using, and I know it's not the part to talk about innovation, really. We'll talk about it later on. But we've been using Forest School um, for a group of young people in school um, who have challenge either in our alternative provision, and they are young people, Barry, with, with additional needs such mm -hmm. as autism. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the reasons for that was uh, around biophilia, really, which is, you know, there's less triggers in, in, in a natural environment um, less emotional triggers than there probably is when dealing with you know, sitting down in the classroom mm -hmm. on a Monday. So that's been something that we've been doing. Now, what I want to be sort of, what I want to say as well about school here is that we're almost working backwards, if I can talk about Claremont really, because we're, um, we're a school, obviously, that's a sport, an all-sting in all dancing sports colleges. You just heard then in what I was saying about our... Wednesdays and what we've been putting in place as part of active recovery and the 
types of activities. But our our um, approach has been very much through PE, and it's been very much to do with as our young people have changed from um, young people coming into school. You know, not uh, the percentages of young people, if I can use the stats-led approach, which obviously not really keen to do, but it's the way school places are given and things like that. It's just that we, we have lots and lots more young people with autism, lots more people with the self-regulation challenge, like I was just talking about there. And we've done loads and loads of work around that. But what the sports sanctuaries approach and the recovery curriculum approach is doing and we i would love to say we were as whole school as dali was just talking about there but we're not because if i can sort of bring a bit of humor into it at the minute what what's happening and i'll come back to the approach which is really important for people listening to the podcast you know want to pick up ideas but at the minute there's there's a new uh, part of the marvel series isn't it which is offsted versus the recovery curriculum <laughs> And, 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 and what you're seeing is obviously the contractual obligations of Ofsted coming back onto the scene. And during lockdown, obviously, we were co-creating with our young people and everything was looser and hierarchies were flattened and um, people's relationships were very interesting. So if you were working with a head teacher in April 2020, it was a case of, are you going to make those sandwiches for lunch or I? You know, there was just no hierarchy in place at all for the kids that were in. So where we've been, what I want to say is that we've always had active recovery in place. And I've only become aware of the work through the Youth Sport Trust that, that you've been obviously putting out to the world and Vicky's Sports Sanctuary place mm. just ju because of our relationship with Youth Sport Trust. And I think that's really key to mention. But for me, um, you know, and I'm not negating the pandemic here or underplaying the pandemic or being glib, but we've always had to have a recovery curriculum on a Monday morning because our kids are in lockdown anyway. And um, Monday mornings, Wednesdays, community sports nights, our curriculum is basically been a sanctuary. What, the, what to me and how I'd like to shape it, really talking about in the podcast now, for me, what the recovery curriculum is do is allowing us to audit how transparent and explicit we are in supporting our young people. We've done a huge, huge piece as a sports college around emotional regulation. We've recruited mentors, uh, you know, in school to be able to work with young people in in a sort of um, a bit like how training used to be for athletes. You did a bit of tactics, you did a bit of physiology. You know, it wasn't all put together. And I think the challenge for us is to do all of the things that we uh, do really, really well, everything that we offer. But how do we teach the young people, which is going on in PHSE really well. We have a great space there. We use my personal best character education to be able to um, help our young people. We've had lots of tournaments coming back um, after lockdown in order to you know, really, really give them something to look forward to at lunchtime, for example, and things like that. But our challenge is uh, we, we've had, a, if I can use a phrase, a pseudo-recovery curriculum running for a number of years. Okay. This is formalising our framework, Barry, mm -hmm. and yeah. it's given us a... Um, and what I've noticed is as I've started to promulgate and get it out there through staff emails and things like that, 
is our year seven team have been quietly beavering away on their recovery curriculum and pockets of community. So we're developing a, you know, an academic web or community of practice. Okay. But what's really, really, really important is that um, I think we do the first three parts really well, um, relationships, um, community, we do that really, really well. But now it's about, and it's the biggest challenge in schools always, is how do you get around the conflicts and tensions in the curriculum, a curriculum that isn't designed traditionally for the things we want the recovery curriculum to do. And also, so one of the things we've been doing in terms of our approach is we've been um, trying to get staff to use the language, trying to get staff to understand the framework, have a common framework to say, you're already doing this really, really well, but this is actually what it is. And young people have to be on board for this journey too. That, yeah. That's yeah. where we are yeah. really. Um, that's great. So that's where that's we're great. Thank you. Uh, thank you. You've made some incredibly good links there. And I, uh, one of the things that thrilled me when Youth Sports Trust launched uh, the active recovery was that they had so well embedded it in the five levers of the recovery curriculum. And, and you know, rather than another thing coming out, it was a building on. Um, so there was already a, a secure evidence base. Um, and I know, Vicky, that was a very uh, key approach for you within this structure of active recovery. Do you want to respond to John? Thank you, Barry. And yes, absolutely. I think, you know, we're all recognising the the difficult period, the challenges and pressures that schools have been under over the past six months and will no doubt continue to be um, in the coming months. So actually looking at something which can hopefully make, um, build on existing frameworks, philosophies, um, support, you know, theoretical um knowledge to just help add value to what we know that they already do incredibly well and that was really important for us we know schools are doing um, some fantastic work this is that added value piece around us thinking of some of the wider areas that can support students so there's probably two things I'd like to pick up on from the um, sharing from John just now and you did mention tongue-in-cheek there uh, John around Ofsted so I'm gonna I'm gonna use that and, and link in at this point point. Um, again we are recording this podcast in June Last month, Ofsted published some, some research that really started to highlight the schools that had made adjustments to support pupils socially and emotionally to enable them to participate in the curriculum. And one of the key things that's in there talks about access to quiet spaces and strong communication is incredibly important. I think what you've just outlined there, John, around some of the different areas of schools, you open with Forest School, you know, finding spaces that really for our young people to be physically and mentally well is incredibly important and how wonderful it is actually grounded in some of the, the Ofsted findings from their research as well. The other one was around what I think you've articulated incredibly well was the empowering staff and equipping staff across the school with the confidence around these approaches. At the end of the day, our staff know our pupils best and actually know how they are able to be engaged and fully participate in lessons. So how wonderful to be able to facilitate some of those wider conversations with staff across school and actually use that as a chance to share ideas with one another, maybe across subject leads, different um, uh, experiences, whether that's at break at lunch times, even on the buses being transported into school. And we know that's a real challenge sometimes where our children have perhaps sat for quite a long time before they even get into school. And actually, again, that role where you would talk about that outdoor space to perhaps reawaken, re-engage young people before that school day even starts. So really, really fantastic to hear some of the, the thoughts and ideas that are going on in Claremont. Thank you very much, Vicky. And, and I, I want to underscore what you just said to um, John about Ofsted. 
Um, I'm not sure, John, that it is going to be a, a Marvel comic series between Recovery Cricket and Ofsted. Um, Ofsted inspectors need to re be reminded what their own chief inspector said on July the 6th last year. Schools should focus on rebuilding. Schools should make decisions based on the needs of individual children. Some children have lost a lot of time. She said that last July, and look how much time they've lost since. And I think with the new requirements around the Rochford Review and the, the EHCP becomes a curriculum driver from September, you can protect the needs of your children first and foremost, but within a framework of a recovery curriculum. I'm conscious that both Vicky and I have given quite extensive responses there to John, so I'm going to move on to um, the next presenter, and uh, welcome Nathan. Uh, it's good to hear from you, and I'd like you to invite you to share your slide, uh, your chosen slide from Vicky's presentation, uh, as part of this podcast and to the panel. Thank you. Thank you very much, Barry. Um, so we are a multi-crew campus based in Wolverhampton for pupils with key, uh, at Key Stage 3, Key Stage 4, and we actually have some Key Stage 2 referrals too. We provide educational services for those with behavioural, SEMH and sometimes chronic illnesses with the Nightingale Home and Hospital Services. So for us, um, I'm looking at this from a safeguarding and well-being point of view. And I think it's paramount to every single one of us that we work collaboratively with parents and carers. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, a, a clear link to Barry's work with Lever2, with the, with the community, and tr trying to develop the community, that community feel between the, the child, the parent, and the school all three of us working together. Um, so our executive head teacher, Rachel Brown, has implemented um, a parent and carer of the month award across the three different sites. And we believe that, you know, this work has actually improved the, the, the link between the school, the parent and the child. And it, it allows us to interact with the child a, a lot more than mm -hmm. what we used to previously um it, it's you know not just for a data trail and not just for often managerial purposes but here at lawnswood we think we feel like because our children are so vulnerable we have to build those links anyway regardless of what's yes. going on with offset yes. on a yes. date on a day-to-day -day basis if you haven't built those relationships relationships with level one then you won't be able to put put on a show like, you know, some people mm. say that you, you can do for Ofsted. So we have to build those community links with parents anyway. Um, we also believe that um, in, in terms of the pandemic and recovery curriculum, a lot of children, every, every child, whether they're in a mainstream setting or whether they're in a pupil referral unit, they have gone through a lot of traumatic experiences through this pandemic. And we know that, you know, sport and physical activity can be used as a tool to Absolutely. break down break down a lot of trauma and allow the child to feel feel good about themselves and i don't know about the rest of you and people that are listening to this podcast but i'm speaking from my own experience as as a parent um i've got an eight-year-old called zane the the height of the pandemic because he's an only child he was suffering from a lack of confidence a lack of social development with because he didn't have any peers around him of his own age and the way that we sort of worked our way around this as parents was to create him a, a sort of 
an, an image of himself by starting up a YouTube channel and using the sports as a tool for that. Um, I believe that it's had a massive effect on his well-being um, and it's boosted his confidence so much looking at himself, looking at his feedback from people across the community. Um, his friends have been able to interact with him. And I feel like Zane, my son, has boosted in his confidence by being able to do that. Now, not everybody um, in the UK, especially in our school in Wolverhampton, our Peru, not everybody has supportive as supportive parents as myself or yourselves or the mm -hmm. people listening to this. And so relating it back to why I believe that this slide is so imperative to look at is because, you know, we need to sort of take a, a bigger stance with, are we liaising with that parent? Are we safeguarding the child if the, parent, the kids are in care? And are we being able to get the most out of that child if the child doesn't feel supported elsewhere? And, and so ultimately, the work comes down to well-being, a feeling of well-being and making the child feel safe at all times, working with parents and carers in unison. Absolutely. I'm just so pleased you've chosen that slide, Nathan. And uh, I think for listeners, I just want to make the link to the uh, Family Centred Practice podcast that we recorded recently, where we actually had parents and family members speaking uh, on there. And uh, it's, it's so powerful. But exactly what you've said is so important, particularly, again, I just want to say, we're heading for the summer holiday period. They need to, parents, families, need to know about active recovery, need to know how to plug into it. Have we sent that information home to our families? Because look how many siblings could support their brother or sister with special needs into some of the active recovery opportunities over this summer. Um, powerful, isn't it, Vicky, to think of those things? Well, absolutely. And that's really resonated, Nathan, in terms of what you've shared around the, the role of the family and the, the school part within that in terms of that engagement. I'm really thinking about, and I'm sure other colleagues either listening or on their podcast today, actually the well-being of parents and carers and the family members yeah. as well might also yeah. be one that schools are are having to, I guess, kind of support yeah. on a on a daily basis at the school gates or, or, or outside of school as well. So I think that broader well-being of our communities it's certainly one. The more we can either raise awareness, we can signpost, we can offer that support, particularly going into summer holidays, will be incredibly powerful. And Nathan, I don't you didn't touch on it there, but one of the things that I've I've always loved from the approach at Lawnswood is then, you know, as a school phoning home with positive news as mm. well about their children and young people. So again, building that trust and keeping the families close to what's happening in the school as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Anybody else? Ali, you do a lot of work around families at, at your school. What do you think from your perspective at Woodsville Aspen? Yeah, I think it's absolutely critical, actually. And it's interesting linking to what John was saying before about self-regulation, because um, I think we're seeing some difficulties with self-regulation in adults supporting yes. our children. So really? the connections are popping all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Really. And I think, obviously, parents... Um, they need this information they need to know what to do to help their own children and also yes. that hopefully will help them too because they are those parents are worried about their children so thank you yes no you're right and I think an important point there Ali is that we mustn't assume that our staff are at their strongest 
Are we not all feeling bruised? You're senior leaders. Are you not on your knees from all the reorganization? And as Vicky alluded to earlier, more children than ever uh, in the last few weeks going out. Uh, bubbles are bursting left, right and center. So um, our own inner resources, inner strengths are significantly diminished. Thank you, Nathan, for that. So we'll move on now to Shona from uh, Northern Ireland. Welcome, Shona, and I invite you to present your chosen slide. Thank you. Um, there was quite a number of points that resonated with me um, on this slide. Um, so Riverside School is a special school in Northern Ireland for pupils from three right up to 19. Um, and whenever we closed last year from March to June, whenever we returned in September, we had a real focus on the recovery curriculum and how we could support our pupils on their return. Um, physical activity was a big part of this, um, but it was very much group activity um, and within our class bubbles. Um, in we, whenever we read Vicky's think piece on the sports sanctuary, um, the big thing that resonated with us there was the individual approach for the child and what is their sanctuary. So that kind of honed in our focus on sports sanctuaries in terms of the co-construction with your pupils and what that would look like for our pupils in Riverside. Um, so we were quite lucky in the fact that we had an area that kind of fitted into that sports sanctuary um, for our senior pupils. Um, so just before we closed in March, we had newly designed a sensory garden, lots of climbing activities. Um, we've got a swing, you know, we've got lots of space for sports. So that naturally fitted in to be the sports sanctuary for our senior pupils from year eight up. Um, as we were looking at the rest of the school from you know, our nursery pupils um, right up to our P7s and on for our more sensory learners in our senior school. We thought, how are we going to make the sanctuaries work for those individual pupils? And that's really where the concept of sensory sanctuaries started mm. in Riverside, mm. um, where we looked at, you know, what those individual pupils needed. And they weren't at the stage to transition to your sports sanctuary um, or really take part in some of those sports physical activity that we would do in our sports sanctuary. Um, so we looked at how we could create sensory sanctuaries for our pupils and thinking about the portability that Vicky has referred to in terms of we know that some of our pupils can't transition to our areas and how can we recreate that in the classroom? Um, so we do have two defined areas in school. We have a sports sanctuary and we have a sensory sanctuary in development at the minute. Um, and we as a staff team really thought, how do we co-create that? How do we make that individual for our pupils and think about, you know, what a sanctuary means for us? Um, and from Vicky's conversations with Vicky and just really thinking about, you know, what does sanctuary mean? Um, we got mm. our staff to record um, little snippets of what a sanctuary means for them. Um, and from that, we got key themes of nurture, calm, safe, relaxation, happy. Those were the themes that came through. And mm -hmm. we then used that shared vision of our staff for them to then really focus on what that looks like for our pupils. So in the classroom, um, then the teachers and the classroom assistants were able to co-create you know, what is a calm, safe, relaxing environment for an individual pupil? Um, and the use of video, I think, was really powerful there as well. And we're able to show that to our pupils and able to get some video footage for them as well, which was really lovely. Um, another thing that resonated with me in Vicky's slide was, you know, just the conversation around effective strategies. So for us in Riverside, we really want to see 
you know, how are the sports and sensory sanctuaries impacting our pupils? Um, our learners are at the heart of everything we do. So how mm. can we measure that this is working for them? Um, and we have, we're doing work at the minute with the engagement profile and the evidence for learning app to really look at, you know, what does that, what does our sensory sanctuaries and our sports sanctuaries, what is the positive impact for our pupils and why are we doing it? And that has really kind of focused our thinking around the co-creation and we're constantly evaluating what we're doing and reflecting on it, which has been really positive. Um, and just finally, the final sentence on the slide, um, this will result in happier, healthier young people who are engaged and ready to learn. When I listened to Vicky's initial um, conversation on this, she used the sentence, that's what we're all about. And I think as a team in Riverside, you know, we're, that is what we're all about. And we're trying to consider how can we achieve this and how can we use the pupil voice to, pupil voice to guide us. Um, and I think for us as a team, self-regulation and emotional regulation are two really powerful tools that we can teach our pupils. And how can we use the sports and the sensory sanctuaries to do that? Um, so we're really excited to be developing them in school and look at what the impact is for our pupils. Thank you very much, Shona. And uh, this is just such a powerful concept. Um, when I heard you speaking earlier in the week, you were talking about for some of the pupils in your school who couldn't maybe because of whatever degree of, of, of disability that limited them couldn't always go to the place you were creating as a sensory sanctuary about almost doing pop-up sensory sanctuaries around the child where they were at and I know that's a concept actually interesting Vicky in her journey with the sports sanctuaries has started to talk about pop-up sports sanctuaries as well so we haven't got a fixed place it's a place where children can be. And I think that mirrors some of the ideology that John was espousing uh, earlier. So, Vicky, what do, what do you think? Oh, I think, you know, showing you the, the richness in terms of the journey that you've been on, but will continue to go on to be able to evaluate and, and really ensure that it is impacting your pupils in the way that you intend to is just enlightening. Um, one of the key things I think I want to draw out that Barry's also just highlighted is the environmental strategies that mm. you are putting in place and reviewing to meet the needs yeah. of your pupils. Yeah. The environment people's access makes a huge difference, doesn't it, as, as, as we all know. And I think, you know, for listeners um, to this podcast, thinking about what those environmental strategies are that you can use as inclusively yeah. as possible. So for the child that needs to know where the physical room is in school to help them feel relaxed, or the child that actually needs to know there's something there that they can access when they need it, is incredibly powerful because as we all know at the moment as educators school is often not looking or feeling like school at the moment and mm -hmm. some of those environmental strategies I think for me are, are so powerful and wonderful to hear the journey that you've been on Shona and hopefully some real thought-provoking ideas for listeners as well today. Absolutely absolutely. Um, anybody else out there want to to comment on, on this? Can I say something? Nathan please do. Yeah, I, th I think that slide really resonates with us as well. I think the fact that we're both special schools, mm. the fact that you're individually catering to each learner, I think that's outstanding practice from the Riverside. Um, as we all know, that these sports sanctuaries aren't just one set place and one set no. task. No. Each and every individual learner has their own needs. Each and every individual has their own way of displaying their emotions and and so the fact that you are setting these sports sanctuaries up around them I think that's really outstanding practice and something that we'll take forwards as well. 
Thank you very much, Nathan. Thank you. So then to our next uh, slide to be presented, and that's from Alistair Crawford at St. Martin's. Welcome, Alistair. Thanks, Barry. I think the same as other colleagues on the call, a real challenge in choosing one of those slides. So I think we're also passionate about the power of sport and exercise. So I spent a long time going through and I could have picked any one of those slides and really, really enjoyed and appreciated Vicky's podcast there. But what I did settle on was that idea of just the importance of physical activity and the impact it can have on us and certainly the students that we have across school. So thinking about the, the learning piece that we have there, the impact on anxiety, attention, and how it can support us in regulating in that stress that we might feel. And we see a massive impact uh, from that across our school community. And I include uh, staff and families and, of course, young people within that school community. And the impact we see in all of those areas in how our young people uh, support themselves in regulating and managing their way through the school day, the impact on happiness, the joy that we see, the kind of the celebrations of sport and exercise, whether that's participating or whether that's as some of our students are competing to quite a high level, so an elite level and the success that they achieve there. And also the links that we see then the impact across the wider curriculum. So our young people really engage with that active recovery and we absolutely see an impact on their academic work and other parts of life around school. Just, just some examples that we have. So some young people, particularly coming out of uh, sort of lockdown and through the pandemic, that feeling of anxiety and anger and aggression in some of our young people. And for some of our students, a sports sanctuary looked like some boxing for them. So getting the pads out and having a box and letting some of that aggression out in a positive and disciplined way was incredibly positive for them. If we think of other students that we have, it looks completely different so our young people who the idea of sensory yoga and those calming activities has such a positive impact on them and their school day lots of other things I can think of in terms of just the achievements of our young people who've taken part in triathlons and done some of the most amazing things and the impact of sport and exercise and what that had on their sort of lives I guess and uh, I think at St Martin's and it's it, we've had in the past the pleasure of welcoming yourselves and other colleagues to St Martin's our wellbeing team has been really well established and been a huge strength of school for a number of years now and has very much sat alongside the kind of the academic side of things within school. I think once we sort of hit COVID, we immediately recognised the importance of sport and exercise and how placing active recovery at the very heart of all we do with throughout mm. that wellbeing mm. school was really, really quite significant and and Vicky and, and the team at Youth Sport Trust, they articulate that far better than I ever could. But the framework and rationale that they've sort of given us really uh, to sort of move forward and build on that active recovery is a fantastic thing. And like Absolutely. Impacting significantly across our school community. Yeah, yeah. And for once, Alistair, it's actually been at no cost as well. So it's, uh, it's been fantastic from that point of view. Um, Vicky? I would just like to pick up there in terms of what Alistair shared around, um, I guess, the role of the educator in supporting young people to really find that activity that works for them. You've just given some wonderful examples that go right across the, the range of sensory yoga all the way up to, to that, that boxing kind of pad work there. So, again, just thinking about um, how we provide that choice for our pupils to really experiment and try some of the, the different methods that we all know physical activity can bring to help support them. And I actually think 
you know, Alistair, you've just touched on around how important physical activity has been viewed over this time. And, you know, from COVID restrictions and guidance, there has always been that daily exercise that's been that's been included within any guidance that's come out from government. And I genuinely think we talk a lot about children, young people, and some of the, the perhaps more negative terminology around catch up and things. But actually, what happens if this this could be a real generation of young people that actually appreciate social connectivity more than ever before and that powerful human interaction. And it could also be a generation of young people that really value their physical health more than ever before. And I think those two things that we just really need to capture and actually think about in terms of the positives that perhaps this awful pandemic has um, created in terms of those opportunities. Absolutely, absolutely. So does anyone else want to comment on the, the slide that Alistair chose? Um, I'd, I'd like to come in uh, you, very really and just pick up on uh, everything that Alistair said, you know, um, in terms of of the importance of physical activity and what exactly what uh, Vicky was saying about um, the value that people place on health. And I also have just been reflecting while Alistair was speaking what you were saying about the summer. And I think that um, in both summers that that during this period with the lockdowns and things like that. And as I mentioned before, you know, the weekends and evenings have been lockdowns for our young people for quite some time because of the social challenge out there in terms of accessing community and things. And I actually think more than ever, the leadership needs to come from educators such as ourselves to make sure we are drawing Mm -hmm. down Mm -hmm. our holiday fund funding, which we've been doing over Easter as and um, over summer. It's really, really key um, that schools that can and have the experience and yes. know about the recovery yes. curriculum to be able to um, to be able to offer inclusion hubs and activities in the summer to build on those yes. things we've just spoken about. Absolutely, absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Thank you very much, John. Thank you. Well, it's now my very, very special pleasure to welcome to our panel today Billy, who is a student at St Martin's. Uh, and Billy's had a listen to your work, Vicky, so we're now going to discover what he really thought about it as well. This is going to be student voice loud and clear. Welcome, Billy. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Oh, great pleasure. Can I ask you to, to tell us what your thoughts were? And this is your slide. Uh, yeah, yes. um, today's uh, slide I've chosen is the impact sport. Yeah. So it's had a positive impact on me and everyone around me. It, it's, it's helped me face the challenges in my life and with my uh, ADHD and Tourette's. Um, it's really helped in the way of calming them ticks down and going for runs every morning. And uh, uh, the opportunities I've had to do at school uh, is has been amazing because uh, uh, in my old school I never I was excluded to not be able to go on the field and have runs and do all the sporting activities I was, I'm allowed to do here. Yeah, so it's really been it's really been yeah. kind of special. Um, for example, using the gym when it's when it's open uh, for for us to use football with the other students uh, and or just different type of sport in general. Fantastic. Um, also, I've, I've also had athletics achievements. Going to like the athletics events, is it, it was surreal at the time, 
uh, like it is now being on a podcast. Uh, I became the national champion in the 800 meters and uh, I won the five kegs. Uh, and it just makes me feel more confident and have, and have better self-esteem. And so you, you became national champion in the 800 meters. Is that what yeah. I heard you say? Yeah. That's fantastic. Which I never thought I'd be able to do in, in my old school. So what was your time, Billy? So I'm an athletics fan. So I'm getting, going to get very excited here. Actually, do you know how to start? It was two minutes 32. I'm incredibly jealous, Barry, that Billy beats me by a long way in the 32. Wow. Billy, that's just an incredible time. I'm going to the British Championships on Saturday, uh, Billy. Yeah. That's why I'm getting really excited by what you've just said. That yeah. is absolutely fantastic. And can I ask you how old you are now, Billy? Uh, 16. 16, okay. And you mentioned the gym. Do, yeah. you think, do you think when you finish school and, and you leave, do you think going to the gym is something you'd carry on doing, Billy? Um, yeah. Yeah, it would be something I'll carry on doing. And I'd also be doing stuff at home, you know, on my treadmill at home, skipping rope, right. just right. use things around me. Yeah. Did you hear some of our earlier conversation where we use those big words about self-regulation, just like managing ourselves? Yeah. Do you, do you think some of these things you're learning and you're telling us that you're doing are helping you to manage yourself, to manage your Tourette's, to manage your ADHD? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really helped me. Like I say, it's really helped me to manage my Tourette's yeah. and ADHD. Um, yeah. but it's still, and it also helps me with, it's, it, it's sad to talk about, but I, it, I lost my grandfather, uh, not long ago. And then yeah. sports really helped me to not get it off my mind, but talk to others about it. And when I'm running with, other people and we can have them chats about the people we've lost um, yeah and just because every morning I go for a run and it, it helps me yeah you know get stuff off my chest and get ready for the day ahead it's good advice Billy thank you well Vicky what do you say to that Oh, well, I think Billy has been far more articulate than, uh, than <laughs> I in a lot of that. And if this is your first podcast, Billy, there are, there's a bright future ahead, that's for sure. So thank you for sharing just some of the ways that you have found sport has really helped you at, at critical moments in your life. And um, as a fellow runner as well, I completely <laughs> agree with you around that all-important headspace, isn't it, really, to be able to go and either set yourself up for the day or process the day and... I know if I have a big problem or an issue I'm trying to mull over at work, I go for a run and pretty much 99% of the time I can come back with a with a solution. So mm -hmm. what I think has really astounded me, if, I, if I'm honest at this moment in time, is how, how clearly you've articulated, Billy, how you've been able yeah. to express what sport gives you. And when we look at our subject of PE, that education piece is so important because if our children and young people can understand the benefits, can understand what works for them and why it works for them. You know, as we've just heard from yourself, Billy, that's a lifelong mm. skill for you to be able, you will take that as you go through your education into, you know, whatever employment or destinations that, that you choose to go in. But you've always got that that will help ground you and, and bring you on your way. And if I could just bottle what you've just shared there, Billy, to be able to share with, with other students as well, I think this will be an incredibly powerful part of the podcast so incredibly Absolutely. blown away by what you've just shared with us thank, thank you. you 
Thank you. And again, Billy, thanks for, for, for being with us. Um, I'm going to move on now to a, another question I want to put to the panel. Uh, and using the same uh, sequence as we've been through so far, I'm going to ask the panel uh, about a current or planned or recent innovation around active recovery or sports sanctuaries uh, in their school or settings that they would like to share that they think isn't you know, just typical to their school, but it's something that's transferable to others. This is about learning shared, the theme of these these podcasts. What what could others learn from your experience in your schools? Um, Ali, would you like to kick us off, please? Oh, yes, certainly. So, um, actually, we've made um, initial contact with Vicky because from the start um, and hearing what she had to say, um, we just immediately felt, yes, this is something we want to get involved with. And listening to Shona, actually, Shona, you've articulated for us some of our thinking where we are at so far. And when you spoke about the individual sort of sensory sanctuaries, um, I'd written in my notes as um, previously to this is some of these places will be surprising because it's not necessarily um, where you would think that a sensory sanctuary might be for somebody, but it's what's right for them. So actually for us, uh, um, we are pulling together a sort of strategic view, which I know that sounds a bit boring, but actually it's pulling together all the threads of all the things we are doing and all the things that people are doing within the school community and trying to come up with a kind of a cohesive approach, starting very much, I think, um, with the sensory audit. We really liked that as a starting place mm. um, and to really consider all the factors. So I would say we are very much at the start of this. Um, having, being involved with other approaches such as Thrive and CERT, it sounds to me that all of these things can come together and create something really powerful and that we need to, as a school, what we will be doing is kind of coming up together with a plan moving forward, hopefully with Vicky's help. That is our plan anyway. That's, that's good to hear that at the end of the day, if, if this is going to have any sustained impact, Ali, there's got to be that plan, hasn't there? Yes. There's got to be that plan. Okay, we have to use some fancy words around it. But it's in planning, we secure the entitlement of our children and young people to these rich opportunities. Um, and also, I think if we've got a plan, going back to John's point about Ofsted, it just shows Ofsted that this is no willy-nilly get them out there stuff. It's actually systematic and deductive with evidence based to it. You can your links to data earlier as to why this is important. And this is what we're doing. And at this point in time, we need bold teachers. We need nimble leadership. We need teachers who believe that education is the key, the key that will restore our children's mental health and emotional resilience post-pandemic. Thank you, Ali. John. Um, well, for us, really, Barry, we're continuing to do some of the things that we have been doing. So we've we've made sure that um, our sports sanctuaries, such as going out to the boxing club, have, have been up and running. And we're very lucky to have um, a member of senior team whose uh, job title is personal development and well-being, a well-being leader. So boxing, trampolining and forest school have probably been some of our continuing innovations, really, in terms of that. Um, another um, planned innovation we have is we've just uh, sorted out our mountain bike trailer so we can get people uh, going out to the uh, local leisure routes that have just been put wow. in by the council and things wow. like that to be able to access that. So 
So that that's really good, and we're really pleased with that. But I think, um, and that's very much the sports sanctuary side. But I think the biggest innovation that I, that we'll be involved in is we've been using um, mentoring with with lots of our girls using an inspirational uh, mentor to find out what other to to try and remove some of the barriers before we get to the sanctuary. So that's certainly something I would recommend. And going along with that, I actually think another innovation, and we, you may take it for granted because it's your work, but is co-creation. <laughs> I think that's quite quite innovative. And to go whole school on the idea of co-creation, which was informally there during the time that key worker children, for instance, because I talked about those relationships being really strong in school and lots of young people getting lots out of that within the school environment. But of course, 80% of our children were at home not having access to that. So I think the real innovation will be um, carrying forward the the recovery curriculum. Uh, And for us, it will be looking at all this broad activity and spaces we've got. We've got our swings, like Sean was talking, we've got our sensory gardens, we've got our cycling, and just really looking at how we can audit and review the young person's input into that and that that can become i think the weakest part of the recovery curriculum for us is the transparent curriculum Mm -hmm. and i think that's probably going to be the biggest challenge for lots of schools and i really i really think that's that then starts to work nicely around our objectives around um uh, personal development so the innovation will be co-creation i think that's something through student voice and things that i'm looking forward to to pushing forward. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, John. That, that's really powerful. And believe you me, there is a strong evidence base around co-creation. So don't think it's just a, a, a one-off random thing because co-creation leads to co-construction, that that scaffolding yeah. for which yeah. the Gotsky and we've got loads of evidence there. But then yeah. when you've gone through all of that, there's a co-production. There is an output at yeah. the end of it. Um, and yeah. I, think, I think both of those, all those three co-words reflect very much how we operate in specialist settings where there is yes. more adult input, there is that joint venture, but all the time leading towards stepping back ourselves and the young person, as Billy has articulated very powerfully, John, that, that you can go it alone, but sometimes it took that co-experience with a teacher or another educator to get you to that point. So thank you. That's a really rich insight, John. Thank you. So uh, Nathan, over to you for your uh, piece of sharing, please. Okay, thank you. Um, so we've got a couple of different innovations also. So the first one is the My Personal Best Crew project, um, which was led by Carol Horman. Um, this allows pupils to develop character and virtues in the PE lessons. So we're talking about sports centuries. Some pupils that we have across the campus don't necessarily see PE as a good thing because of past experiences. They've broken down links in that particular okay. part of the curriculum. And so when they come into our lessons, they have a development of character and virtues now because we've been um, linking up with the lifelong learning team and PSHE for cross-curricular development um, to try and develop each child holistically rather than just having the physical literacy that we used to have across the curriculum. So we now focus mainly on developing the child as a whole. And I think that this has, um, you know, this has allowed more children to feel 
calm when they're in the lessons because they know that their target, their learning question, which we use now, is geared to more more um, holistic development for them rather than just, I am able to be able to bat a ball X amount of yards now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the first ones that I, I really, really do think that you know people should go and have a look at um, if they are looking to get SMSC and PSH yeah. into the lessons. Yeah. The My Personal Breast Proof project is really, really good from the U-Sport Trust. Um, the second one that we have been implementing is the, the boxing provision. Um, yes. On the Lawnswood Campus PE Twitter, we put up a video recently of a young a young man called Kieran. Um, Kieran was suffering from um, a lot of self-confidence and anxiety issues. Police would regularly come to the campus to, you know, deal with this young man's behaviours, um, which would externally be seen as anger and ASBO type behaviour. But to the, you know, the trained individual and the humanistic individual, we knew that this this young man was dealing with anxieties and borderline depression. Um, Kieran felt safe when he was doing pad work and boxing with us in PE and not only that but the majority of sports and so the the team at the midpoint centre the head Mr Walford and assistant head Mr Hucknall liaised with a local boxing club in Dudley and um, the Priory Park Boxing Club mm-hmm. and Paul Goff the, the chairman of the club who has a real real passion for developing young people straight away didn't even look at his calendar and said yes I will take this young man under the wing and I will help develop him. He says, we don't, he's a traditional black country man. And we don't take any rubbish, but we can assure you that we will work with this young man and we will definitely be able to help him change his life around. Months right. and months have gone by. Kieran's able, been able to come in and sit his assessments, flowing through the assessments, not being distracted at all by other people in the room. He's also been able to come and start working on his future so looking at getting his cs cs card for construction and he's now got a clear progression pathway so i I feel really really passionate about what boxing can bring to young people not just boxing any martial arts gives young people a clear focus and if you ever get a chance to check pro report boxing club out please do um, okay. Also, since the success of Kieran, we've all in- enrolled two more pupils at the boxing gym to use it as an educational strategy. They do more maths and more English in there than they <laughs> would do in the in the classroom, which you wouldn't traditionally think, but they'd be doing it in the no. gym. So no. you'd be engaged there. But the beauty of your example there, Nathan, is you've shown personalisation in practice. You've you've literally gone that extra mile with that student in order to ensure that needs are met. And it meant going outside of your school environment and it meant going into not always a familiar domain. So so well done you. Thank you very much, Nathan. Thank you. Okay, let's go then to Shona. Um, if you'd like to share something about innovation in Riverside, Shona. Yeah, so in Riverside this year, we've been really fortunate to be working alongside the Education Authority and yourself, Barry, in terms of inquiry-based learning project. Um, and that has really kind of shaped our thinking um, I think it's been innovative for us in terms of gathering that evidence of what the impact of our sports and sensory sanctuary is. So we're using the engagement profile um, before 
our children go to the sanctuaries and after they go to the sanctuaries. Um, and I think what Ali said in terms of sometimes the sanctuary can be quite surprising of what it is for that individual child. Um, and we have a brilliant team of CAs, classroom assistants at the minute, who are taking our children to the sanctuaries um, and actually you know, completing observation records and um, photos, videos, um, and then the children come back to the classroom, complete an activity, and then we measure engagement through the engagement profile and the engagement ladder. Um, and that has been really lovely for us to build that sort of rich bank of evidence of, you know, what the impact of our sanctuaries is. Um, we've had some really exciting evidence. We've got a very small group of pupils who are doing it at the minute, and we plan to roll that out to a bigger a bigger cohort next year. Um, but we've had some lovely evidence of like a vast leap in engagement across the two activities um, and just some lovely evidence of, you know, pupils who aren't able to transition around the school, but when they see the symbol for the sensory sanctuary on their schedule, their face lights up, they schedule no pro or they transition no problem. Um, so it's lovely to hear um, that evidence. And for us, it's innovative in terms of the impact and how then we will develop it. We're also hoping to next year link ICT into our sports and sensory sanctuaries. Um, so we've been working with Richard Hurstwood and also the Nerve Centre, which is a creative media centre here in Northern Ireland. Um, and we're looking at introducing QR codes to our sensory sanctuaries and sports sanctuaries. So the idea would be that we can go, our classroom assistants, our teachers, whoever's working with the individual child can go into the area, use a device to scan the QR code, which will bring up videos of suggested activities and maybe some information about, um, you know, what that will bring to the child. Um, and really from Vicky's mini guide on sports sanctuaries, we've developed kind of thinking around those alerting, calming and organising activities. So when we use the QR codes, we hope that it will link then to say, well, this activity is alerting, this is calming, this is organising, and it will really empower all our staff to give the best support possible for our pupils. So we're really excited about that. Um, so we'll, we'll feed back whenever we have it all set up next year, but hopefully it will be useful for everybody. That's that's just a powerful example. And the fact you're using QR codes, um, I can imagine... Vicky's sitting there feeling a bit mind-blown at the moment. What do you think, Vicky? Oh, absolutely. I'm just sat here with a, a big grin on my face. And I know this is an audio podcast, but just hearing the innovation that has come show yeah. that I know has been as a result of so much collaboration within school, but with other schools, with others in the, in the field. And obviously, you know, most importantly, your, your pupils yourselves. I mean, what a powerful way of being able to demonstrate the impact of of sanctuaries from the engagement profile. I've, I've just made lots of notes as you were talking there. But also that link to ICT and QR codes is just incredible. There's some incredible work going on at Riverside School in Northern Ireland, that's that's for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you again, Shona, for, for sharing that. And so, Alistair, uh, would you like to share your innovation? And maybe Billy would like to chip in too if he would like. Yeah, thanks, Barry. I think... The important thing for us moving forward in innovation has been how we can have our young people to be active beyond the school gates. So thinking about those sort of sports sanctuaries being out there in the community. So some of the statistics that uh, were shared earlier, talking about some of those worrying sort of things around students across lockdown and what that's meant for them that builds on the kind of already disadvantage that our young people have faced. So I think Activity Alliance shared that I think it was 70% of disabled mm -hmm. 
people believed that sport was not for somebody like them. So I think it's really important that we extend our work out in the community and really raise those aspirations and opportunities around participating. And then, as Billy described earlier, competing maybe at a high level in, in the instance of some of our students. We did a bit of research around this. We had uh, fantastic athletes such as Billy who did some amazing things and great performances Yet we found that very few of our students were active outside of school or were part of sports clubs and out there in the community. We did some research and we found a number of reasons talking to young people and families. And that may have been a negative experience they've had in the past at a sports club, a sports club not being able to support them and their needs, a lack of role models, a variety of things. So we actually, um, it's getting on for two years ago now, we set up an inclusive sports event, the Shout About Send 5K at school where we invited his mixed ability so everyone was welcome if you were a super fast amazing athlete like billy or if you were someone like me <laughs> plodding around at the back everyone was welcome there and we had lots of people come and uh, members of the community who've never entered into a specialist school didn't know anything about us came in and took part and just had the best time and we also as part of that event invited the local sports clubs around derby city to come in and and to speak to our students and families and give our families and students the opportunities to learn more about what they do and maybe things they could access out in the community. And we've seen some really positive outcomes out of that. So we have a number of our alumni um, learners who are taking part in a mixed ability rugby team in Derby City and the impact of that around uh, social outcomes, health, well-being, how it supported them through a lockdown period and opportunities. So they're due to take part next year in the Mixed Ability uh, World Cup in Ireland, in Cork, and they'll be <laughs> against uh, teams from all over the world, from Argentina, New Zealand, and so on. So great outcomes there. And I think in terms of what Evidence for Learning does for us, it gives us the, the perfect tool mm. app in terms of how we can capture those unique learning journeys. And we sure. spoke earlier around kind of the importance of connectivity with families and I think it really, the exciting thing for us is how do we triangulate that evidence so we capture family voice, learner voice. And I think this builds on a previous podcast with our colleague Vegeta from Swiss Cottage who mm. talked about that family-centered practice. And the idea for us, we want our learners and families to be pilots, not passengers in their kind of experience and learning journey. Absolutely. I love that. Pilots, not passengers. That's fantastic. That's fantastic, Alistair. That's uh, that's a message to go across the whole curriculum and everything we do, isn't it? Um, yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much. Really exciting, really exciting stuff going on there. Billy, is there anything you want to add to that? This is your chance to tell teachers what they really need to be doing. Come on, Billy. Well, going back to when Alistair talked about the shout about Send 5K, yeah. we did another one uh, near Christmas time, uh, and I actually learned some sign language for for the people in need of sign language so they could actually get involved in the, in the, in the Shabbat Send. Wow. Billy, that's fantastic. That's so thoughtful and, and so kind of you to think of other people as well that might be, uh, be uh, there with you. Uh, thank you. That's a lovely example. And again, reminds us that we need to try and meet the needs of everyone, don't we, to support them. And then when we support them, they get the chance to participate and succeed. Thank you. We've had a fantastic conversation today. Um, we've been enriched by the insights of some wonderful practitioners and with some outstanding insights from Billy. Uh, and I particularly was thanking everybody that's contributed today from uh, Vicky, from Alistair, Ali, 
Shona, John, Nathan, but I know they would want to join with me in saying thank you, Billy. You've brought something really special to today, and we thank you for that. You've been listening to another in the Learning Shared series from Evidence for Learning. Thank you for being with us for this podcast. Thank you for listening. The homepage for the podcast is www.learningshared.org. Barry Carpenter's webpage is www.barrycarpentereducation.com and you can email us at learningshared at theteachcloud.net or tweet us at underscore learningshared. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and please do get in touch with feedback if you'd like to either suggest a topic for a future episode or if you'd like to be involved in any way. Finally, you're welcome to join the conversation via one of our online communities of practice. We've got groups on Facebook and LinkedIn and details are on the Learning Shared web pages. So for now, thanks again for listening. Stay safe and be well.